Vomagyanadimirandasya Gyananjana Salakaya Chapchungritam Jinatasmi Chigurvinama Arjunulam Bito Bujo Ganakavadatu Sankitanaikapitaro Kamalaya Daksha Vishwambaro Dvijaboro Yugadharma Palo Pande Jagat Priyakaro Karunavutaro Sri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai, Harinampu ki jai, Gaur Bhaktabhinda ki jai, Gaur Premanandi, Yari Yari Bo. So today is the appearance day of Bhagavan Narasimha. Narasimha means man-lion, human-lion combined. And we can hardly speak about Bhagavan Narasimha, without speaking about his devotees, as is the case with all appearances of the Lord there, relative to, it correspond with the hearts of his devotees. Indeed, the discussion of the appearance of Bhagavan Narasimha and Srimad Bhagavatam consists of only one chapter whereas there are eight chapters discussing two devotees, both of whom were instrumental in bringing about the appearance of Srinivasa Singha Bhagavan. Not one, but two. And it's a very important uh, section of, of Srimad Bhagavatam covering nine chapters in the seventh canto. And... It's also mentioned in part, the kind of the prelude to this appearance, which has its beginnings as it should appropriately in Vaikuntha, in the spiritual world. This appearance, this Lila of his appearance, the prelude to that is mentioned as well early on in the third canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. So, a very important uh, Lila and very instructive to us on many, many levels. It reaches its climax here in the seventh canto of Srimad-Bhagavatam. And although we, the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, follow him in his pursuit of Vrindavan Bhakti, the Rag Bhakti, rather than Vaikuntha Bhakti, which is a kind of devotion that is steep in awe and reverence, Worship of Vishnu is full of awe and reverence. The worship of Krishna is is um, motivated by love, pure love, rather than duty in the sense that I should worship him because he's a god. So in spite of the fact that this is what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to teach about, he himself regularly heard Srimad Bhagavatam from the lips of Gadadhar Pandit, very intimate devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who said to be the appearance of, of Radha in Gaur-lila. As Krishna comes as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Radha comes as Gadadhar. Of course, Mahaprabhu himself is also said to be the combined form of Radha and Krishna. Krishna in the mood of Radha. Krishna 
we should say, seeking out, searching out the sentiment of, of Radha's love for him. He might know the full limits, full expression, I should say, of, of love that she embodies. Still, Radha is also represented in Pandit, and that is, of course, a complex theological issue, but it was from his mouth, Pandit, that Mahaprabhu regularly heard discussion of Srimad Bhagavatam in Puri at the Todagopinath temple. Just imagine the setting. Nityananda Prabhu, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, other associates of Suman Goranga Mahaprabhu, and Gadadhar Pandit seated on the asan delivering the speech of Srimad Bhagavatam. So we will think what exalted topics were discussed there. But we hear from Chaitanya Bhagavat that what was the regular discussion, the regular uh, repeated discussion, was this uh, chapters about Prahlad Maharaj, Prahlad Mishinga Lila, also some emphasis on the Dhruva Lila. And uh, this is instructive to us because these aren't the highest, in one sense, topics of Srimad Bhagavatam. This is not the gopis meeting at night with Krishna, which is, in one sense, the acme of, of the whole of the Srimad Bhagavatam. But it emphasizes the Prahlad Nishingalila, the doorway through which we must pass if we are to enter into such a high plane of spiritual experience. And so it's important to emphasize that doorway, otherwise we try to go through the go through the wall or break the door down inappropriately, try to enter into an area that we have no qualification for. So we must become fully spiritual, therefore some emphasis on Vedanta must be there. What is the nature of material existence and how it is binding by the force of material desire and so on and so forth. So these things come out at some length in this uh, Leela. And within the context of the Leela, Prahlad gives many, many beautiful, beautiful prayers. And uh, in those are so many uh, valuable instructions for the practitioners, for the sadhakas, which Prahlad himself embodies in many respects, he is in many respects a, a sadhana siddha, a devotee who became perfect by spiritual practice. We have much in common with him. We should be encouraged by his example. In fact, it's mentioned in one of the Puranas that in the previous life, Prahlad had an association with a prostitute, and while arguing over the uh, whatever, something about their arrangement and affair. And to conduct the affair, I should preface that, to conduct the affair, they went to a, a private place. And in that private place, they got into a, an argument. They ended up staying up all, all night. It just so happened that the private place was, it was, a, it was in the jungle, and it was an, an old, abandoned Vishnu temple. And the night... They stayed up was a codicy. We just passed the codicy day before yesterday. This is called Hari's Day, the codicy. It's an important day. It appears twice on the lunar calendar in every month. Eleventh waning and waxing days of the moon. Eka, ekadasi, eka means eleventh. So, ekada, ekadasi, the eleventh day. So, devotees of Vishnu, they observe this day by gathering together and minimizing bodily demands and whatnot. So therefore, sometimes it takes on the uh, appearance of, of fasting and they increase their 
services and their hearing and chanting and so forth. So there are many ways in which Kadasi can be observed, many aspects to its observance, but one of them is fasting and one of them is staying up all night, also in the temple. So Prahlad stayed up all night in the temple and cleaned the temple somewhat also in light of uh, what he had in, in mind, which wasn't exactly Vishnu Bhakti, but nonetheless, because he stayed up and cleaned the temple to some extent, stayed up in the temple of Vishnu, even though it was, a, it was an abandoned temple, and it was a codice, he, he got uh, benefits in his next life. We don't hear what happened to his female associate, but he got a, uh, an auspicious birth. It was inauspicious, in appearance, but as we hear from the Leela, it turned out to be quite auspicious after all. He was born in the uh, house of the chief of the demons. Hiranyakashipu was his name. But I mentioned that this Leela of Narsingadev involves two devotees. So while Hiranyakashipu was the best of the demons, he was also a devotee. Nobody could be such a good play the role of a demon as well as a devotee. So that's the tale that begins, is mentioned in brief in the third canto of Srimad Bhagavatam. Again, here in seventh canto, it is described in some detail by Narada to Yudhisthira as the Prahlad Nishingalila unfolds in the seventh canto. And briefly, that, as I say, prelude to the whole appearance of Nishringadev has its beginning in Vaikuntha where the gatekeepers of the seventh gate, there were seven gates to pass through to enter into the Vaikuntha. And these represent uh, different stages of spiritual practice. So the Kumaras, they were Ganis, mystics, men of uh, knowledge, and they were, uh, in their appearance they were just young, young boys, Kumaras. They came upon Vaikuntha and they passed through six gates. They came to the last gate and before entering into the world of bhava, or spiritual emotion. And they were checked at the gate by the two gatekeepers, Jai and Vijay. And so thinking that they were in a material world where bias, prejudice, is uh, predominant, whereas when we move back from material experience that we're attached to, we develop some objectivity. If we're too close to a thing, then we're prejudiced towards it. We can't be relied upon for objective opinion. So the Kumaras, they were renounced. Their whole appearance, as depicted in Bhagavatam, has meaning for us. They were they appeared like young boys, just uh, pre-puberty, and uh, traveling everywhere naked. So they were not deceived by appearances of the material world. They had stepped back from it enough to see it for what it was. Therefore, they were not involved in the exploitation that it's all about and the confusion of attraction between man and and woman and so forth. Where we see one woman as special or one man as special... The reason that we see like this, of course, is because of our material attachment. That's Otherwise, if we step back objectively and we say, well, all souls are equal, all bodies are temporary, all bodies will undergo change and transformation, 
and so forth. So it's our attachment that causes us to see one as special over another. This is not the vision of God. He has an objective vision. He sees all samadarshina, pandita samadarshina. Bhagavad Gita is described. Pandita samadarshina. That um, the learned person he sees that a dog, a dog eater, uh, brahmani, hasti, elephant, a brahman, different types are mentioned, all equally. Pandita, samadarshina, learned person, because he sees them in terms of their being souls, not bodies. So the Kumaras, they have this vision, and appropriately they are depicted in Bhagavatam as being innocent, youthful, innocent, just like in your youth, uh, you feel innocent, and you, you, you tend to be open to all types of people. If we're little children, you sometimes get picked up by strangers and taken away in our, in our society because they're innocent and trusting and so forth. So they had an innocence and a, and a trusting, but they weren't fools. They weren't just children. They were wise. They were ganies. They understood the soul. So anyway, here they came across a bias. They were not allowed to enter in. So they, they saw that the gatekeepers were perceiving us in such a way as to think some people should be allowed to come in, some people shouldn't be allowed to come in. This is material vision. So they cursed the gatekeepers to fall from their position there. And, of course, it came to the attention of Narayan that his gatekeepers had been cursed and uh, there had been some commotion at the gates of the kingdom of God. So Narayan came and said, he asked the sages to read the Kumaras and please uh, forgive me for what I've done. The Kumaras were very smart, so when they saw Narayan, this is God, and Narayan said, forgive me for what I've done, they could understand that all these people of Vaikuntha that Lord Narayan had identified so much with them that whatever they did, he took responsibility for. So immediately they could understand these gatekeepers are very dear to Narayan. We've made a big mistake here. This is a different type of prejudice, a different type of bias, not like the kind you find in the material world, but the type that fuels bhakti and creates the variety that is the spice of uh, life of the spiritual world. This is... Where Vaishnavism, of course, uh, bhakti, uh, the whole concept of bhakti, picks up and gyan, knowledge, leaves off. Knowledge tells us, real knowledge tells us, that as I'm mentioning, that these names and forms of the material world are here today and gone tomorrow. They're not something to be attached to. We should be unbiased. We should see everyone equally and so forth. If we rise to that platform, that basic spiritual platform, and progress from there, you can come into a type of a bias that has spiritual color to it, spiritual currency. If we have a bias towards Ram, towards Narayan, towards Krishna, this will determine our standing deep within the plane of Advaigyan Tattva, non-dual consciousness as a servant of Ram, as a servant of Narayana, as a servant of Krishna. So this kind of bias, we want that. One that's based on understanding the nature of the self and exercising the self in relation to the Lord and developing love. That kind of bias that creates the variety of the spiritual world doesn't interfere with unity. Here, variety gets in the way of unity. Everybody wants unity and everybody wants variety. That's what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu teaches, Achintya Veda Veda Tattva. 
reality is one and different at the same time. So we have to get down to oneness, in part, and separate ourselves from the illusory differences to enter into a world of spiritual differentiation where the, where the variety ornaments, so to speak, the unity. The whole of is decorating the unity of, of non-dual consciousness. Just to hover like the Kumaras in non-dual consciousness is, is not, it's profound, but not positively beautiful. Its beauty only amounts to the fact that it has done away with that all that is ugly in the form of material attachment. But to have positive beauty, this we have to come to bhakti. So, this anyway, Narayan took responsibility and sages realized they had actually made a mistake, but Narayan nonetheless kept their curse intact and the gatekeepers, Jai and Vijay, ultimately had to take birth three times in the material world as demons, but they were great devotees. They were gatekeepers in Vaikuntha, in the spiritual world. So one of those uh, demons was the father of Prahlad, and he was the king of the demons during his time. He was so powerful in his uh, influence <coughs> that the, the gods and the goddesses were all... Uh, practically became his subjects. He had turned the tables so much on the natural order of the universe. And it was in this family that Prahlad took birth. So you don't get a great birth for doing the kind of things that he did in the temple. (laughs) But then again, as we'll see, there's some benefit from being in the temple and, and staying up all night in the codice that uh, may accrue. It may not accrue to everyone in all circumstance, but it did in the life of Prahlad. We hear about wonderful effects that can result from little contact with bhakti. We don't see that that happens in every case for every individual, but the historical record in the Puranas cites incidents where such things have happened. Therefore, we know that the potential for that is there. To somehow be connected with bhakti, to visit a Vishnu temple, to see the deity on the Rath cart, uh, so on and so forth. So many things are mentioned, what the wonderful effects can be, because there are examples of those things happening. We shouldn't just hope that something like that will happen to us wonderfully. That would be like living your life based on winning the lottery. You can't live your whole life and think, well, I'm going to win the lottery. I'm not going to work. You might. Somebody will. You should be busy with other things. So we should be busy with our actual consistent and serious spiritual practice. And some special mercy may come to us at any given time. So it happened to Prahlad. He took birth as the son of Hiranyakashipu. But he became a great devotee. So we also learn from this that regardless of our birth, then there's no restriction on becoming a Vaishuddha Vaishnav. Sometimes people think, oh, you have to be born in India and, and uh, be a certain age, you speak with an accent, to be a, be a bona fide guru or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, certainly we'd be happy to have Prahlad as our guru. He was born in a family of demons, not in a Brahmin family or not in a Vaishnav family. So we can also be encouraged from Prahlad's example in this, in this regard. We weren't born in Brahmin families, and some of us are 
born in Vaishnav families, born in India, or all these things, maybe that incidences have been recorded and scriptures manifest and so forth, which makes it in many respects a pious place. Now, Prahlad was uh, born in very adverse circumstances. You couldn't find worse conditions to be the son of the, the king of the demons. Yet he became such a great devotee. So we cannot, as I say, speak about Nishingadeva without speaking about Prahlad. And even Hiranyakashipu, who was one of the gatekeepers, and this is Virarasa for the Lord. The Lord wanted, wanted to fight. Virarasa means heroic rasa. So when the Lord wants to fight, then in Vaikuntha, that usually doesn't take place. In the Brajalila, that takes place. Krishna likes to fight. We call that uh, Yudhavira. It's a type of, there are for certain divisions of this Virarasa. Yudhavira. It means wrestling and boxing and this kind of thing. Wrestling mostly. So Krishna is always engaged in wrestling with his with the other Gopas, coward friends, and challenging one another and making various gestures and with and boastful talking and and so forth. These are all ecstatic elements that surround the actual experience of Yudhavira that uh, augments their Sakyabhava. But this doesn't take place in, in Vaikuntha. Nobody fights with Narayan. He's God. Om Narayan. Seated on the throne and uh, worshipped with awe and reverence and so forth. If Narayan wants to experience that Virasa, then he has to make a special arrangement. So this is a special arrangement. This is what's behind the whole thing. The Kumaras coming, cursing. It's all... Everything going on by the Lord's desire for joy, for Rasananda. We have to trace that out and find out the cause. So many other things are happening. We can attribute it to this or that and that. But here, this is the basis of everything. The Lord is joy. Brahman is Ananda. Anandamaya Bhyasat. Anandamaya Bhyasat. The nature of Brahman is that it is Ananda, joy. So that Brahman, that truth, reality, God is experiencing himself, his joy, in so many ways. And so many things are going on. Everything is going on for that purpose. We just have to have the angle of vision to see that. And that at that vantage point, to see, we can hear about that from the scriptures and from sadhus and so forth. And we can be charmed by that. But still, we find in our life there's much struggle and pain <laughs> and suffering. But we should know it's because of our angle of vision. We're going against the current. All is moving according to the will of will of God. Bhagwan. The whole world is manifest out of out of joy. His desire to experience himself, his nature, joyful. Joy celebrates itself. So this is what we call Lila. It's not like karma. Karma is action that is born out of necessity. As we've identified with the body, the body has needs, so we're busy. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, they say. You may have seen the bumper sticker. This is the realm of karma, moving out of necessity. The Leela is moving out of, not out of need, not out of a sense of lack, but out of a sense of fullness, out of joy. When we sense how much we're lacking, 
as a result of identifying with the empty bag of this body, then we're in a good position to pursue our fullness by moving away from identification with the body. We may know ourself, and when we know ourself in full, that means coming in touch with all this, the heart of reality, the leela of the Lord, and having a part to play there. So this whole leela has its beginning in Bhagavan Narayan's desire for Mirarasa. So Kumaras come, they curse the, the, the doorkeepers, the gatekeepers go to the material world, and for three births the Lord came successively. As they took birth three times in the material world, as Hiranyaksha and Hiranyakashipu, as Ravan and Kumbhakarna, as Shishupal and Dantavakra. In fact, this narration in seventh canto is arising out of Yudhisthira's question to Nard as to how it was that the Lord dealt with Shishupal in the way that he did. Shishupal was openly envious of Krishna and critical in public assembly, so much so that all the devotees of Krishna were assembled were just about to cut his head off. Well, the Lord stopped them and did it himself, but Sisupal was it was apparent that he got liberated as a result of that. It became apparent to everyone. So Yudhisthira is trying to understand this, and Narada is explaining it to him. And so this is the third birth. In the third birth of Jai and Vijay, of their three births as demons, they came in touch with Krishna. In that birth, they actually got liberated. There's significance to that. that when the Lord Krishna himself kills the demons, they get liberated. They're not necessarily so, depending on his incarnations, interface with the demons in that way. So, at any rate, for three successive births, the Lord came and interfaced with these gatekeepers who were appearing as demons. The last birth was really not so much for Virarasa as to take them back to Godhead. But in the previous two births, as Baraha and Narsinga, they Narayan experienced the Bhirarasa with these two, Hiranyaksha and Ranyakashipu, as Ram, Kumbhakarna, and, and, uh, and Ravana. So, this is the, the heart of the, the, the background for this whole Leela. Same time, Prahlad, this sadhaka, is brought into the picture. We know something about his previous life, as I said, but it doesn't mean he wasn't a sadhaka. Sadhakas sometimes they have problems in trying to pursue their spiritual practice, and they may do the things that are unbecoming. But uh, the Lord doesn't overlook them or forget them. In fact, he appears in the world for the sadhakas to collect them up. So, Prahlad has some background as a sadhaka, and he's seen as having had a previous birth, and now this birth as the son of Hiranyakasipu, and he's this tyrant, in the universe, he received this position of power and esteem that was such, as I mentioned, that it was able to subjugate the, the demigods, which means to interfere with the natural order of things. The natural order of things is that good prevails over evil in the long run. Krishna says it in the Gita. Very affectionately, he speaks to Arjuna in this way. When Arjuna wonders, if I pursue sadhana, 
spiritual practice, but I, I don't, I'm not successful at that. What will be my position? I have nothing in that realm, and I will have given up the material world. I have nothing there. What will my position be? And Krishna says, oh, my dear son, very affectionate word, don't think like that. One who does good in this world will never be overcome by evil. This is the natural order of things, but it appears sometimes that evil takes the upper hand. So this is in a big way, the natural order seemed to be, was disturbed, and evil was prevailing over all the good elements personified as, as the devas, the gods and the goddesses and so forth. And one of the principal factors in Hiranyakasipu's arriving at this powerful position was the benediction that he received from Brahma as a result of his performing austerities for a long, long time. Sometimes you can find yogis in India that perform austerities. In fact, Hiranyakasipu, what he did was he stood, uh, what did he stand on one leg? On his toes. He stood on his toes. He stood on his toes with his hands in the air for a long time. Not easy to do. I know this fellow who in Vrindavan, he stood on one leg. He stood on one leg for a long time. So that people would come and give money and, and, and build up a place for him. He was a, a yogi. And um, he has a succession of people who stand on one leg. This kind of tapasya, austerity, is not very appealing to the devotees. They don't find... There are many things that go on in the name of spirituality. We don't take them very seriously. Common people may take them seriously. Oh, he can stand on one leg for so long. He must be spiritual. Here we find this Hiranyakasipu stood on his two toes, tiptoes, with his hands in the air for a long, long time. Fasted. He became emaciated, very thin, and he looked very non material, not materialistic, but see what his desire was. He had such big material desires, what he was prepared to undergo to achieve them. And common people would think, oh, such a person must be spiritual. And he got power from it. He got power. You see, real spiritual life is not about about getting power. A fellow told me he wanted to become a devotee, but he was reluctant to shave his head, which the monks do. And I said, why? He said, because actually, he said, I've learned that, that there's uh, power in long hair. So I told him, I said, you see, you, you have to understand, this is not about getting power. This is about acknowledging who's powerful, who's actually powerful. And there's power in that, because that's reality. <laughs> and any power that we identify with, that we, we don't trace back to its origin and acknowledge it and so forth, that power will not be very useful, helpful to us. It may deceive some common people and ourselves, delude us into believing we're something other than we are, something spiritual. But devotees are not foolish like that. They will not be deceived by such persons. Karanyakasipu looked like a powerful yogi, and by the power of his austerity, forced Brahma to come and give him benediction. But in his heart was enmity toward Vishnu, because I think his brother was killed by Vishnu, must have been Hiranyaksha. So he had enmity towards towards God. Sometimes we lose a friend, then people 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 lose a friend and become mad at God. So he was like that. This is not very smart. <laughs> Who gives, he has the right to take away at any time as a position of God. 
So anyway, he asked, then Brahma said, wow, you've done this austerity, and so according to the natural system, you do some reward for that. What do you want? So he had this whole system that he had thought of, by which he thought that he could escape the hand of God, that he could beat the system. He said, I want the benediction that I will not be killed by any man or any beast, neither by any weapon, by anything dead or anything alive, not in the land, not in the sea, not in the air, not at day, not at night. In this way, he made a huge checklist of conditions by which he would not die, and Brahma granted him that. And foolishly, he thought that he had become immortal. And immortality, of course, that is the position of the godly. He thought he had achieved that without undergoing spiritual practice, without surrender, sacrifice, and so forth. But it's not possible to achieve a godly position such as immortality by any way other than going with the system. He tried to go against the system, to beat the system. And so he was a kind of a, a cheater. Like his later successor, Ravana, wanted to build a golden staircase to heaven. Out of material prosperity, he thought he could ascend. So by some material adjustment. And see, still what effort he was prepared to put in. If he had put just a fraction of that effort in with the right heart in devotion to Vishnu, he would have been so successful. Shudamash used to like to quote that saying that rather to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Rather to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. This is the material condition. We are so opposed to the idea of serving. Even though it's hellish trying to be the ruler, because it's not our actual position. And everyone else is trying to be the ruler too, so it's problematic, therefore there's war going on. So many kings warring with one another. And these kings really are the senses, and the mind's demands, ruling over the world, ruling over us, and warring with one another. Sometimes we reach a pact, peace, we call it love. Usually it turns into some fighting and breaking up and this way, the material relationships are, are going on. But we would rather live with a false sense that I can control things, I'm in charge, even though it's uncomfortable, than to undergo the ego-effacing process of giving up that enjoying spirit and replacing it with a serving ego. Bhakti is very easy. Here, chant about Krishna, but you have to do it with your heart, with a service attitude, and that's not very easy because we are very much prone towards seeing ourselves as a center. So we're rather to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. This is our unfortunate disposition in the material world. Hranyakasipu very much exemplifies this. What he would undergo to rule in the material world, such extremes. What was his desire? It's found in his very name. Hiranya means gold and Kashipu means soft bed. So for a man, money and women, thats you've got everything. You've got money and women in this world and you, you're thought to be uh, on top of everything. 
This was his ambition, plain and simple, and to what extremes he went to get that. So we should think, like, to what extremes we are going to get a little money, a soft bed, some, some material facility, to what, ex what effort we're putting in to, to this. And what is it in the end? It will not endure. It doesn't turn out to be what we thought it would be. It's problematic. It's going against the system. Everything belongs to God. That's a fact. Time waits for no man or woman. Time is the hand of God. But who does it belong to? It is taken away at any moment, whatever we may possess. Our very sense of identity. We are living on, on borrowed time, living on death row. In terms of our material identification, we're living on death row, just waiting for our number to be called. But rather than realize we're living on death row, we're trying to have a party. We try to make it out to be something better than what it is. But actually, we're living in our cell, and we've been sentenced. We're living in the cell of this body, we have a sentence. Sounds morbid, perhaps, or a little depressing, but we don't stop there. One thing is to identify the problem, and that's the beginning of the solution. So the good news is, if you recognize that, then you can get a, um, a pardon. You're living on death row, but you can get a pardon. You can get out. You can be released and have a life, a real life. Even in this world, as a sadhaka, a way to interact with material nature in such a way that it will not be implicating, will not be binding, Ultimately, you liberated from material existence, entered the kingdom of God. So all the effort we put in, we struggle so hard for something that's, that's not attainable if we stop to think about it. Only a semblance of being really the enjoyer, the ruler. If we come to know on friendly terms the supreme enjoyer, on intimate terms, what will our position be? The supreme controller. Krishna says in the Gita, I'm the enjoyer of everything. I'm the controller of everything. So it sounds a little bit like, well, what's left for me? <laughs> but then, then Krishna says, Suhidam Savabhutanam, the next line. He says, but I'm your friend. So if you point is, if you deal with me as a friend, then you become the friend of the person who owns everything, who is the supreme enjoyer, and what is your position? Suddenly you've got such a good position. Oh, I know him. He's a supreme enjoyer. He's my friend. <laughs> he owns everything. He's my close friend. This is the way our position can become one of positive standing, how we can move out of negative numbers, of karmic implication. This is the karmic implication is like negative numbers. If you borrow money from the bank, do you have more money? No, you have more debt. This is the idea of karmic implication. We're on the take, and we have to pay back. How do we become relieved from that debt? This is what Krishna Bhakti is about. To what extent? That we become relieved from the karmic debt, and this is part of the whole universal order of things. Karma is a principle that is in the fabric of material nature. And we're interacting with material nature and woven into it, so to speak, the fabric of material nature by this principle of karma. Oh, to untangle that, un unweave that web, and to say, oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we choose to deceive. So our life is based on falsity. This is deception. 
We're not the body. We are not the enjoyer. This is a false premise that our life is based on. And what is the result of that? Oh, what a web we weave as a result of that. So entangling hmm. that we don't even know we're entangled. Well, that's entangled. So how to come out of that? Bhakti is such a comprehensive way of coming out of it that not only is the karmic debt absolved, but the very Godhead who's behind the whole system becomes a debtor to us. Prahlad realized this. It's inconceivable. He was a sadhaka. We heard something about his previous life, his birth as a, a son of this big, big demon. But by the grace of Narada who entered into his life, and subsequent spiritual practice following the instructions of Narada, taking the representative of Krishna very seriously. This is what Prahlad did. He attributed all of his success that others were heralding in the end of this league. All the demigods and goddesses were heralding the success of Prahlad. They didn't even know the extent of it. But Nishingadev himself explained the extent of Prahlad's success. He said, the success of this boy is such that his position is greater than everyone in Vaikuntha, anyone past and anyone present, including Lakshmi, Garuda, and all these servants of mine. His position is better than theirs in relation to me. And anyone who follows his prayers, what he has spoken here, the Sringadev in this, in this whole section, which is about him, this is his day, he says about half a dozen things, half a dozen verses he speaks. Prahlad speaks hundreds of verses. How important is the devotee? <laughs> you understand? How inseparable the devotee is from the Lord. The success of Prahlad was just the demigods were already heralding it when Vishnu spoke out and told these kind of things about it. This is his position. So Nathan Goswami reasons why it is that the position of Prahlad could exceed that of all the inhabitants of Vaikuntha, even the, the Parshavas of Narayan, the eternal associates. He said because his bhakti was tested, and theirs was never even tested, so he's given some spiritual uh, reasoning like this. And Prahlad, as we'll hear, was, to, was tested to the extreme. Not only was he tested by Hiranyakashipu in terms of his nishta, his fixed, firm faith in the Lord, but he was tested by the Lord, Bhagavan Nishringa as well. He passed with flying colors. He, he tells us that such possibility, we, this is inconceivable. What is our position? I think, what is Prahlad's position? Born as the son of Hiranyakashipu, a huge materialistic person, and very bent on his, his purpose and inimical to the idea of serving God to the extreme. And the godly influences were what he saw as, as his enemy in life. This is his son. And, of course, he wanted to train his son to be just like him. And what association you have, that will usually determine much of what you'll be like. What odds he was against. And again, what is the power of the spiritual master? Nard was his spiritual master. What power? Perlad was in the womb of the wife of Hiranyakashipu. He had the demigods terrorized. All these demigods were powerful, partial manifestations of divinity in regard to the material world. 
but they couldn't figure out how to overcome her Anyakashipu, given the benediction that he had, he had gotten, not to be killed in day or night, in the land, in the water, in the, in, in the air, and so on and so forth. No one could do anything about it. Everyone was intimidated. Meanwhile, he begot a son in his the womb of his wife, and on the scene came Narada, great devotee of Vishnu, Krishna. And what the demigods had done, they were so worried that this Aranyakasipu has gone against the natural order of things, and evil is prevailing throughout the universe to such an extent we've never seen before. And now he's going to have a son, this guy. What's that kid going to be like? So they kidnapped his wife, and they were going to abort the child or kill him at the time of his birth, either way. But while they were holding her captive, Nard came in and preached the essence of Srimad Bhagavatam. Ostensibly, he was preaching to the wife of Ranyakasipu, but actually, his heart, in his heart, he was sending his well-wishing to that child. This is the power of the spiritual master. They weren't physically even connected. They're separated by, by the womb. But the well-wishing of Narad could have such an effect. And Prahlad could understand it, too. Whenever he was questioned about his success, he would bow his head and say, my regard, first and foremost, all goes to my spiritual master, Narada. In Prabhupada's poem, A Prayer to Lord Krishna, where he speaks about his spiritual aspiration and, and so forth, he inserts a verse from Srimad. It's a Bengali poem. In that verse, in that poem, in that song, he inserts a verse from Srimad Bhagavatam from the teachings of Prahlad. There he's speaking about how, oh, my dear friend Krishna, he says, the fact is that your life will become pious. You'll become fortunate if Radharani's pleased with you. This is how he begins. And he says, my spiritual master, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Prabhupada, is a great preacher of Lord Chaitanya's teachings. He came to the world to, to give out Krishna Bhakti and Krishna Nam everywhere. He's asked me to preach this Krishna Nam and fulfill his ambition to see it go all over the world. So I need the power from you, Krishna, to do that. So would you please give me that power? And in this way he's negotiating with Krishna, saying, my Gurudev is a representative of Radharani, and if Radharani's pleased, your life will be fortunate. So she's asked me to do this, so you should give me the power to do it. That will be good for you. And in the course of explaining that, negotiating with Krishna in his prayer, he cites this verse from Bhagavad Purana of Prahlad, wherein Prahlad first and foremost offers his regards to Narada, saying all of his spiritual success, whatever it is, is all attributed to the first and foremost to his association with Narada, the instructions he received there, and so forth. This is divine intervention. What power Narada had. And so the boy became a great devotee. And that in childhood he was preaching in the school. He was actually a devotee of Krishna. He spoke about Vishnu Bhakti, but he was a devotee of Krishna. Therefore he said things like, Matirna Krishna Paratasvatova Mito Bipadyeta Grihavartanam. He mentions Krishna. 
Those who are too materialistic, the topics about Krishna can never come in their head, he says. Later on, he also, he also says what he's about. He says, Ekanta Bhaktir Govinde, exclusive devotion to Govinda. Well, Nara, of course, is just the Devata, his deity is Krishna. So just the Devata, Prahlad is also Krishna. This is significant. He speaks about Vishnu Bhakti, just means general bhakti, but he's actually a devotee of Krishna. And who but Krishna, tricky Krishna, could come up with a solution to deal with the benedictions that Hiranyakashipu had received from Prahlad that appeared even in the eyes of the gods to have made him immortal. You have to understand, the gods are thinking, this guy's beat the system. How can it be? He's beat the system. They're checking the books. Their faith is shaking at this point. They're wondering, what is the value of being a devotee? Does this really work? They're actually feeling like that. That's another reason why Shringadev, when he appeared, gave Prahlad such an exalted position because he wanted to encourage the devotees. The demigods are all devotees. They're Sakama devotees. They have material desires. Prahlad was Akinchan devotee. He had no material desire. But they were wondering, in their wavering, tender faith, if the system even works. Is being a devotee, is, is it all it's made out to be? Here, we, this guy wasn't a devotee and he's defeated us, it appears. And as I say, another reason why Prahlad was given such an exalted position by Nishinga to demonstrate to the demigods, yes, it's good to be a devotee. Be sure of that. Be convinced. But again, our point here is this is Krishna. Krishna appeared as Nishingadev. Krishna is in the background. He's the Ishtadevata of Narada and of Prahlad. He's a Vishnu avatar, Nishingadev, but he's Sadaishwarya, all six opulences. Very special. He's very special in the lives of devotees of Krishna. He appeared uh, in, in Mahaprabhu's Leela as the protector of the Sankirtan. Favorite instrument is the Murdangam. Mahaprabhu chanted what we sang before we began the class. He chanted that at Jagannath Puri, visited the holy places of Narsinga and so forth. Narsinga Dev, after he killed Hiranyakashipu, we haven't got to that, but after he did, leaving the world, where did he go on his way out? He stopped in Nabadweep. Narsinga Poli came to wash his hands in the Ganges in the blood of Hiranyakashipu. It's a holy place there. In modern Sankirtan in New York, when the devotees were just beginning under Prabhupada's guidance, then sometimes people would attack them, and we gave them the Shringa Mantra to chant. They would invite that uh, Dev to, to protect the Sankirtan, as he did in Mahaprabhu's Leela, when the Chandakazis took the Murdunga and broke it and tried to stop the Sankirtan. He's the presiding deity of uh, the Devata of Sridhar Swami, who was the famous commentator on Srimad Bhagavatam that Mahaprabhu so much embraced and appreciated. So he has a special place in, in the lives of Krishna devotees, a very special uh, manifestation of the Lord. And as I said, who but, you know, Krishna is very tricky. So Karanyakasipu was very tricky also. So Krishna appeared as Nishingadev. First, of course, Prahlad, as I mentioned, began preaching to the students in the school. So we're also taught by this that there's no age limit to when one can become a, a devotee and of, of high stature. 
At five years old, he began preaching. What did he preach? That at five years old, you should take up bhakti. <laughs> That's what he taught. Komara macharit pragnam dharmam bhagavadhodita. While during recess, this is what he preached. Vishnu bhakti to the students. And so, after some time, the father said, asked the teachers, please bring my son. The king says, bring thy son. I want to see what he's learned. He asked him, what's the best thing that you've learned in school? And then he said a famous verse, Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Archanam, Bandanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmani, Vedanam, Jeepum, Sarpito, Vishnu, Bhaktis, Chennavalakshana, Kriti, Bhagavati, Adha, Tanman, Neditamuttamam. His father was floored. Prahlad said, the best thing I've learned is that hearing, chanting, remembering, etc. about Krishna, this is the best thing one can do. About Vishnu. And he said, Vishnu, that's my enemy. Karnikasabhu uh, said, where did you get this guy? He scolded the teachers. The teachers said, hey, we didn't teach this stuff. we got nothing to do with this. We are your faithful servants. So it became, uh, it was realized that over time that Nard had come there, as I said, secretly before, perhaps afterwards also instructed him. And Anyway, Haranyakasipu, when he realized the kid's a devotee of Vishnu, how can it be? I didn't have to deal with it. So he tried to kill him and uh, he tried to bribe him. In so many ways, he, as I mentioned, tested the faith of in so many ways, and he tortured him ultimately, put him in a pit of snakes and uh, fed him poison, gave him a cake, a little boy, have some cake, but he said, oh, I can't eat the cake unless I first offer it to Vishnu. So there was poison in the cake, but when he offered it to Vishnu, the poison was taken out, he ate the cake, nothing happened to him. So all these miraculous things were happening. Every time his father tried to kill him or dissuade him and so forth, and it reached such a pitch that Hiranyakasipu became very outraged. And he said to his son, well, where is this Vishnu that you're so devoted to, you say is protecting you? And, and what did Prahlad say? Because he didn't use the term Nishingadev at that time because he hadn't appeared yet. This was an appearance that even Lakshmi had never seen before, this appearance of Bhagavan Nishinga. But he said basically, Vishnu is everywhere. I see him everywhere. There's nowhere that he's not. So this is the vision of the highest devotee. He sees God in everything, everything in God. Everything moving according to the will of God. No problems. In the face of so many problems, things that we would just run at the thought of, he was undisturbed. See how his bhakti was tested by the king of the demons. And then Hiranyakasipu said, so is he in this stone pillar? He said, yeah, I said he's everywhere. So he crashed the pillar with his sword. So he was a strong guy himself to break a stone pillar. And out of the pillar came a very extraordinary manifestation of Vishnu. Bhagavan Narasimha, Bhagavan Narasimha ki jai. And he took that fellow, Hiranyakasipu, like he was just a plaything, and placed him on his lap. When did he appear? He didn't appear in the day. He didn't appear at night. He appeared at dusk, in between the day and the night. And he was neither man nor beast, but half man, half lion. 
And he did not kill her only because he put on the land, in the sea, or in the air. He put him on his lap. He didn't kill him with any weapon, but with his nails. Not with anything dead or alive. It said nails are, can either be seen as dead or they can be seen as alive. Either way. In so many ways, his appearance was such that it corresponded with the necessity of his devotee, Prahlad, to counteract the influence of Ranikasipu, who had thought and even convinced the demigods to a large extent that he had beaten the system. But God appeared to show, no, you can't beat the system, and he killed that Ranikasipu, and he took his intestines and garlanded himself with them. It's a very, like, ghastly, like, you see the picture of the Shing, and he's garlanded with these intestines, and his nails are full of blood, and, and so forth. And everybody in the universe was freaked out. Okay. They were frightened. They didn't know. Gods were glad that Hiranyakasipu was dead. They could understand, this is Vishnu, but they'd never seen Vishnu in a mood like this before. And they didn't know what to do. Because after he killed him, he was roaring, and uh, he was really experiencing that virarasa very loudly, uh, roaring uh, as a lion does, like the king of the lions. And so they were all trembling. Brahma, Shiva, Indra, Chandra, all the gods and all the goddesses trembling. Everyone was trembling except for one person, Prahlad, the boy. That boy had no desire, no material desire whatsoever. See, as much as we have material desire, we're a little afraid of God. We're a little afraid to go before him. We're afraid we might be found out. We will. We're already found out. It's already known. <laughs> You're only fooling yourself. Material attachment that causes fear. You see, that's the cause of fear and anxiety. This is where it comes from. But we don't let go. We won't let go. We think this is giving me security. We're hiding out underneath the table. Come out from under there. Let go. You have nothing to fear. But that takes courage. We've been hiding so long, it takes courage to come out. The devotees come, they try to encourage us, come out. See yourself, what you are. You have nothing to fear. Give up your attachment. Well, my attachments are holding on to me. No, you're holding on to them. Let go. <laughs> so Prahlad had no material attachment. All the gods and goddesses. Shiva, of course, has no material attachment, but he was in the background. Lakshmi has no material attachment. She was there, but she'd never seen Bhagwan in that kind of mood before. And Shiva's devotion is without attachment, but it's mixed with knowledge. And Prahlad's devotion was free from the burden of knowledge. So his love was pure. In other words, love came out and suppressed the knowledge to some extent. So he was fearless and just a child. And all the big gods, fearful. They all offered prayers, tried to say something to pacify Nishringade, but none could pacify him. They could not pacify him because they all had some Haranyakashipu in their heart. Understand? And he had come to now do away with this Haranyakashipu business. So then Brahma pushed Prahlad forward and said, You say something to him. They didn't know. They thought, well, maybe because we lost faith for a moment, he's going to destroy us too. So Prahlad was pushed forward. And this ferocious lion like Nishringa became like a pussycat. 
took Prahlad, patted him on the head, sat him on his lap, and Prahlad spoke eloquent prayers of Vedanta, philosophy, and bhakti, siddhanta, conclusions of devotion, and so forth, and glorification of Vishnu, and, and everyone was astounded. And Raghavanda Shinga was so pleased by the speaking of Prahlad. Then he asked Prahlad, he tested Prahlad. He said, so, I'm Bhagwan. I've come to give a benediction, take something. He knows everybody wants something from me, everybody. Whether they know it's me or not, everybody wants something, and I'm the one who gives everything. I own everything. From the tiny ant up to the big Brahma, everybody wants something. So when I appear, you better take something, okay? I've come, I give my darshan, holding hand like this means give the blessing. What do you want? I'm here. So he said to Prahlad, so you're very nice. What you've said is very nice. Now, please, you take some benediction. He said, no, I don't want anything. No, no, take, take something. I'm God, I'm Bhagwan. I've come. Take something. No, I don't want anything. Repeatedly, Prahlad said, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. His words have been interpreted in different ways. Some have interpreted it can have different meanings. I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I don't want anything. I only want devotional service, life after life after life. In different ways it's been interpreted. But his response was very pleasing to Nishingadev. Finally, Nishingadev insisted, and he's not one, you know, you want to argue with too much, but <laughs> Prahlad said, if you insist, if you want that I want, I don't want anything, but if you want that I want, then I will take something. This is actually Vaishnavism. But Vaishnavism is about what the Lord wants, what the Lord's devotee want. If they want, then I, I will accept that. So if you want that I want something, all right, I will want something. What do I want? I want that you give my father liberation. Just the person who had tortured him, did everything to break his faith, was the greatest impediment to his bhakti. But was he? Appeared to be a great impediment. But he was so instrumental in giving Prahlad the position that he had attained. And what did Nishingadev say to him? That's already done. He's already on another planet. He's my devotee. He's going to take birth once more. It's already done. And what he meant to say by that is also that connection with a devotee makes your life valuable, immeasurably. He's saying... For my pure devotees, anyone who's connected with them, anyone who has affinity for them, whether it be based on devotion or not, my blessing goes to them automatically. That's why Sanatan Goswami has reasoned in his Brihat Bhagavatamrita commentary that Bali Maharaj was given the position to have Vaman Vishnu, an incarnation of Vishnu, as his doorkeeper. He says, how could he have got that position? First of all, he also went against the natural order and tried to take over the heaven and pushed Indra out. That's not a pious thing to do. He disobeyed his spiritual master, Sukracharya, who told him not to give in charity to, to Vaman. Then he promised Vishnu Vaman something and he couldn't fulfill it. So how could he get the benediction that he did? Because he was connected with Prahlad, because he was the grandson of Prahlad Maharaj. So such is the value of how dear a devotee is. Nishingadev told the assembly, this person is more dear to me than Lakshmi. And all that Lakshmi can do, 
in a spiritual world, Lakshmi creates so much opulence. We cannot imagine with the opulence of Vaikuntha. He said, I would rather have the Akinchan, desireless heart of Prahlad, the empty heart of Prahlad, who has no desire whatsoever than all of the opulence that Lakshmi can create in this world or, or the spiritual world. Everyone wants the blessing of Lakshmi, the goddess of fortune. He said, whatever she can produce, materially or spiritually, this is what I want. Selfless heart of, of a devotee like Prahlad. He told Prahlad's body is more dear to me than my own. I find it more beautiful than my own. And my form is worshipped by all the demigods, and all the demigods are manifestations of my form. Mahabrabhu danced on the shores of Jagannath Puri with the deceased body of Haridas Thakur. He buried that body in the sand with his own hands and said, whoever worships this place will become a pure devotee. Bhagavan Nishinga said, the body of Prahlad, this is a demon's body, you understand it? Demon's blood running through his veins, this is the idea. He's become a devotee, all that has changed. If you see him otherwise, that's your problem, that's your, you've made offense. Mahaprabhu was teaching the same thing about Thakur Haridas, born in a Muslim family. We call him Brahma Haridas, also Prahlad. Prahlad is partially manifest in Gaur Leela as Thakur Haridas. His devotion was tested. He was chanting Krishna Nam and he was a Muslim. And the Muslim leader said, look, it's okay for the Hindus to chant, we can tolerate that, but not our own people. Stop this. He couldn't stop. He couldn't stop chanting. He had such a taste for chanting. It was so sweet. He was arrested. And in the jail, he chanted and preached to the prisoners and converted them into devotees. So then they took him out of the jail and they took him, to make an example of him, they took him to maybe 21 different marketplaces, which is the Muslim system, just like Saddam Hussein. You put him in the marketplace, strap him to a pole, and whip him. Show him, if you act like this, this is what happens to you. They did that in 21 marketplaces throughout the village, villages, to make an example out of Haridas Thakur. And in all of it, he kept chanting. And at a certain point, they had been commissioned to kill him by beating him, but he didn't die. So the people who were beating him felt, we've got a problem. Would you please die? I don't know why you're not dead. Would you please die? Otherwise, it's going to be a problem for us. And then Takaharita said, oh, that's going to be a problem for you? Okay. So then he appeared to die. He didn't want to cause them any difficulty. And they threw him in the Ganga for dead. Floated down some distance and came to shore, and there was Mahaprabhu, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And the body of Prahlad had no markings on it, and all the markings were on the body of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. In other words, Mahaprabhu was taking the beating, and Prahlad was not feeling anything. Thakur Haridas. So he's said to be partial incarnation of Prahlad. This is Prahlad in Gaurlila. See how dear he was to Mahaprabhu. How dear Prahlad is to Nishingadev. How Prahlad is a sadhaka and teaches us so many things we can get encouragement from, regardless of our birth, regardless of our age, regardless of our education. What is the power of the spiritual master's connection? What is the, the fruit of selfless devotion and so forth? What is the prospect for the sadhaka practitioner? And in Gorlilam, oh, we are learning so much from Thakur Haridas. He's Nama Chajra, the very living example of the teaching of Nam Dharma. 
that Mahaprabhu came to give. And what is his birth? And we should get encouragement from that. This is for the, all people, in other words. This Krishna Bhakti, especially as Mahaprabhu has come to give it. So in this way, we've talked to some extent at some length about the appearance of Nishringadeva, and as you can see, it was about 90% about Prahlad. No contradiction there, because the heart of Prahlad corresponds with Nishringadeva. That's where he is. That's what caused him to manifest, given the circumstances. The Lord appeared as Nishringadeva, and Prahlad eternally worships him. Bhagavan Nasinga ki jai, Bhakta Prahlad Maharaj ki jai, Sina Singa Chaturasi, Mahamutsavatiti ki jai, Gold Bhakta Vrinda ki jai, Hope Ramanandi, Riri Hope.